You're listening to Key Matters from Kappa Kappa Gamma with generous support from the Kappa Kappa Gamma Foundation. All right, well, this is our fifth episode of Key Matters, finding all the key things that matter, if you will. And I covered 1891 and you covered 1892, is that right? That's correct. Marvelous. 1891, I'm a little surprised you gave me this year because there were a lot of things that happened that seemed to fall under your top topics of interest. In 1891, we had the land run. For better or for worse, Benjamin Harrison opened up several small Indian reservations in the Oklahoma Territory. So there were 20,000 homesteaders who gathered to stake their claims on just over 6,000 plots. So not enough plots for everyone, and clearly they all had to race for it. And I have to look back to see if that's the scene that's covered in the Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman movie that I love, Far and Away, (laughs) where they're Irish immigrants going to, to stake their claim. But there were a number of land runs like that, so I'm not sure if that's the one that they were focusing on. But they were buying land for $1.25 an acre, which was a profit for the government because they paid much less for the land from the Native American tribes. So like I said, for better or for worse, that's when the land run happened. Liliuokalani was proclaimed Queen of Hawaii, and the International Copyright Act of 1891 was passed by Congress. I was interested to be reminded of the New Orleans lynch mob that stormed the old Paris prison and lynched 11 Italians who were arrested but then found innocent of the murder of the police chief, David Hennessy. So this whole notion of mob justice, (laughs) mob violence, just is never good. It never, never works out the right way. Uh, The Wrigley Company was founded in Chicago in 1891. And then the Music Hall in New York, later known as Carnegie Hall, had its grand opening and its first public performance in May 1891 with Peter Tchaikovsky as the guest conductor. This applies to women. Edison first displayed his kinetoscope prototype, which was an early motion picture device for a convention of the National Federation of Women's Clubs. And we used to talk about that a lot because in Kappa's old headquarters, the Columbus Women's Club had owned it before Kappa did, and they were part of the National Federation of Women's Clubs. And also honorary member Julia Ward Howe um, was a really active participant. Um, I can't remember if she was actually the founder, but really involved with the National Federation of Women's Clubs. And then the whole reason I couldn't believe you gave me this year is because in June, Arthur Conan Doyle's detective Sherlock Holmes appears in the Strand Magazine in London for the first time, and the issue is actually dated July. So thanks for giving me that. I, I have a similar point to discuss in 1892. So I'm just sharing the well. Okay. Okay. Uh, We've talked about Tesla in previous episodes and Nikola Tesla invents his Tesla coil in this year. And Michelin patents the removable pneumatic bicycle tire, which is interesting to me as an adopted Ohioan um, because the Wright brothers and their bicycle shop would make big use of these. And then they also use similar tires for their Wright Flyer, their uh, early airplane. And then probably the most famous tool ever, the Swiss Army Knife, was first made by Victorinox. 
And then some famous people born in 1891, Zora Neale Hurston, the African-American writer, anthropologist, ethnographer, and the writer of one of my favorites, Their Eyes Were Watching God, was born in that year, um, which reminds me, I need to go back and read that again. I loved it in school, and I'm curious to see how 41-year-old Kylie finds the masterpiece. Famous composers born this year. American songwriter and composer Cole Porter was born. Who was a Hoosier. I am a Hoosier. Hooray. <laughs> the Russian composer Prokofiev was not a Hoosier. <laughs> <laughs> and then only because I loved this designation, I didn't even know that a super centenarian was a thing. Julie Bertrand, the Canadian super centenarian, was born in 1891, and she didn't die until 2007, just shy of her 116th birthday. And then, again, Sherlock Holmes, in fiction, Professor James Moriarty, the fictional criminal mastermind from Sherlock Holmes, uh, died in 1891. So that is the news to know. That's what was going on in the world in 1891. So I started with the March issue. And let me just say that that first issue in 1891, which is volume eight, number two, is a typed manuscript that was likely sent to the printer for printing. The whole bound volume is water damaged and it smells like a barbecue, so it clearly is a survivor of the 1965 fire at fraternity headquarters. So if any chapters or alums out there have a bound or loose copy of the March 1891 issue, I would love to see it. Because this one is bound too close to the margin, it's difficult to read, and I'm sorry to whine about it, but... I could make out most of the content, and um, so it was interesting enough, but I also probably skimmed faster than I may have if it were easier to read. You'll be thrilled to know that the alumni department section was edited by Mary Kingsbury, and didn't you write her profile for the sesquicentennial issue? I did. She's a fascinating person involved in Settlement House work. Mm -hmm. Well, in Fascinating People, writing about fascinating people, she starts off with a biography of Tade Hearts of Coons, which is pretty cool. It seems like a new feature that they're trying to, to bring into play to highlight famous older alums and members. And there are additional calls for alums to be active in fraternity life. So you can really see that as members get older, they want them to stay involved. They really need that influence of their older members. And I think it's really well-planned to make that pitch and then highlight one of the busiest alums in Tade Coons. It's sort of a message that says, uh, you think you're busy? <laughs> Here, Tade has accomplished all this stuff, does all of this stuff for Kappa, and is still one of the, one of the busiest women in the world. Z Chapter from Adrian College in Michigan sent in an editorial for the Parthenon in this issue, and they use one of the common nicknames at the time that definitely hasn't aged well, and I can't stand it. The name Barbarian or Barb is used for students who are not members of Greek organizations, and apparently non-Greek students occasionally call themselves that, but I still don't think it makes it okay. Their intentions are noble, though, in this article because they insist that kindness and generosity must be extended so that others may know the greater brotherly, and I assume they mean sisterly as well, feeling of Greek life. And they end with, the relation I would have the Greek hold to the barbarian is that of a benefactor whose good deeds have elevated him and a friend whose love has returned and fostered love in him. So it's a great sentiment. 
But it's also that sort of noblesse oblige idea, which is rooted in good intentions, but really can be troublesome in the long run. So you'll appreciate this weird note from Beta Beta chapter at St. Lawrence University in their chapter letter. They write, since the Christmas holidays, Beta Beta has been bestowing more attention to the antics of the savage Kappa goat than to the new plans for literary work. So again, this notion of a goat comes into play. They write that the results are most satisfactory, for we now number four new names with our own. So I don't know if it sounds like they're referring to recruitment or the dreaded word rush as this savage Kappa goat. And I'm sure the editors loved these types of inside jokes that come from the chapter letters. They probably were like, (laughs) what are you guys even talking about? Yeah, I don't, to that point, I don't know if Beta Beta was slacking off a little bit because the letter that they submit for the March 1892 issue seems very similar because there's also a reference to the Savage Kappa Goat. So they just must really love the goat. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if they're like fighting back or, you know, maybe they think it's dumb that people, because remember the previous issues they were talking about, let's stop using the word rush, the dreaded word rush. So maybe they're just, this is their tongue in cheek way of saying, would you all just get over it? Fine. We'll call it a goat. <laughs> we'll call yeah, it's a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> And then at the end of the issue is the long-awaited preview of the 1891 Panhellenic Convention of Women's Fraternities that would take place the next month in April. They published the agenda, which included suggested cooperation between the groups in courtesy, purchasing of fraternity jewelry and stationery, a plan for the upcoming World's Fair. They wanted to discuss Greek journalism, which I'm sure all of the editors were like, yeah, we're already discussing it. since they really began corresponding long before the the rest of the members of the group. And my favorite note is that Pi Beta Phi would be represented by President Turner. What they didn't mention was that President Turner was Emma Harper Turner, who had joined Kappa Kappa Gamma at New Chapter at Franklin College. And when that charter was withdrawn, she was given permission to request a Pi Beta Phi charter. And then, you know the story, she became one of their most well-known and well-respected members. So... The editors later discuss the woman question, and they include excerpts from the men's fraternity journals, which don't get me started on how annoying it is that the men's groups are discussing the woman question. But I love this debate, and I love how the women, they take it on headfirst. Their basic argument is that others shouldn't be arguing this. <laughs> women can get married, women can work, women can be educated, etc. And they call to question these other publications with this awesome line. What we do wish to emphasize is that the most sincere beliefs are not sufficient to decide grave questions unless they are supported by the facts in the case. So they're essentially saying, none of you are using real facts. You can express your belief in your opinion all day long, but unless you have facts to back it up, it doesn't matter. And so can we repeat that in bold and extra loud in some of the woman questions that are being discussed today, that the most sincere beliefs are not sufficient to decide grave questions unless they're supported by the facts in the case. So I skipped through to the June issue. 
because the rest of that March issue was just too hard to read and it hurt my eyes and I felt like a baby. So the uh, June 1891 issue starts with the Panhellenic Convention and that was held in Boston, April 16th to the 17th in 1891. April 16th is easy to remember for me because that's my sissy's birthday as well as my cat's birthday. That's baby's birthday. So hooray. There were 19 delegates from seven different organizations from as far west as Iowa and Wisconsin and we know now that very few agreements were actually carried out after the meeting, but you could just tell that the spirit of that whole meeting was very enthusiastic, very positive, and very hopeful. Getting that conversation started was so important to the success of that later meeting that was called by Alpha Phi in 1902. And I especially liked the last two paragraphs in Emma Harper Turner's minutes. She was the secretary of the meeting, and she writes, the records of Kappa Kappa Gamma and of Phi Chapter will ever be honored by the account of this first Panhellenic Convention, made a possibility and a splendid success through their efforts. All that could possibly be touched upon in a first convention had been brought to notice, and the adoption of the proposed interfraternity laws to prevent future misunderstandings will most surely be a step toward the development of the fraternity possibility. So they definitely ended it on a high note. The rest of the issue is pretty standard with discussions about rushing, the meaning of fraternity, and the bits of news from other chapters and Greek letter organizations. So then in the September issue, we find the opening article titled, The World and the College, and it starts with the statement, most college graduates are fated to find upon their return home a gulf of considerable proportions between themselves and their friends of earlier days. Did you find that to be the case when you went off to school and then came back home? No, because all of my friends also went off to college. Mm -hmm. And for me, it wasn't so much that this gulf existed between us, but I did find that it became clearer who my good friends were, the ones that I wanted to stay in touch with, and who, who were the acquaintances that I had known through school because I grew up in a small town and basically went to school with the same students from nursery school through high school. But I can imagine this gulf for sure would be more pronounced in 1891 when the number of students going to college which was much smaller than it is today. I do remember it being fun to come back and talk about our different experiences. Like I went to school in Iowa and friends of mine went to like Boston and Delaware. So we had just very different experiences from, from that point of view. But I, I'm glad that there wasn't quite the gulf that it sounds like these, these students are experiencing. And Dr. Oz, you would appreciate that the article that starts on page 147 is Life at Cornell, and particularly Life at Sage College, the home of the women of the university. And they talk about how women admitted at Cornell are free from the restraint and noxious rules that they face elsewhere. Though the line, there are absolutely no restrictions except those which the ordinary rules of propriety place upon the conduct of a young woman wherever she may be. Uh, that would certainly be restrictive in the eyes of our current minds because just even those everyday rules of society were pretty restrictive on women. And another article about the life of women at the State University of Iowa reads the same. So very clearly this woman question and the idea of educating women alongside men is becoming more and more ideal in the eyes of women, especially in this year. They go on to talk a little bit about Vassar, Wellesley, Holyoke, and what students coming from those 
women's colleges might experience coming to Cornell. And they talk about how they might miss some of the feel-good opportunities that they experience, but that they'll still find it comfortable and, and interesting. And then Mary Kingsbury opens the alumni department with a letter employing members to send in news of what they're up to. And she wants for the chapters to include those updates in their letters. It sounds like the chapter letters are becoming a little dull, but she writes that college graduates are not going to find news of old friends in their college papers, but instead they'll look to Kappa for that news. And we have ads at the end of this issue again, but nothing too exciting. It's just jewelry and stationery. Um, so I keep holding out for hope for some new patent medicines that we can hawk in a, in a future bonus episode. No interesting fonts. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but they're the same fonts that we've seen all along. Drika, some of the stationers that are in, in the Boston area. So, And finally, in December, the last issue, this one opens with an article by Tade Kuhn. So they're clearly obsessed with Tade still. She had finished her run as president in 1884, so she's probably still one of the most popular and the most charming um, and it includes reflections on the convention of 1884. That's where she finished her first term as grand president. I'm sorry, that's where she finished her term as first grand president and passed the baton on to Charlotte Barrel. They stayed in Canton, New York as guests of Beta Beta a few days longer and essentially had a post-convention trip that we're all familiar with today. Page nine is most interesting as it mentions the convention of Alpha Province. So we know that provinces were first suggested at the 1881 convention where Tade was elected the first grand president. They agreed to publish a magazine, The Golden Key, but I don't actually recall reading about province conventions before this. So I'm guessing that there's such a big amount of coverage given to this Alpha Province convention that it's, it's either one of the earliest, one of the most well-organized, or probably one of the first. Page 12 includes an interesting article on home study, and that really starts to recognize the great throngs of people who, for a variety of reasons, are shut out from college life, whether they're, they, you know, use old-timey language of either being invalids or in charge of the care of invalids, or for whatever reason, they can't get to a college campus. So this is part of the beginning of the movement to really bring higher study to people off of campus. I mean, we know that correspondence courses had been popular, especially among women of means in the decades before co-education, but it's interesting to see the, the sort of resurgence in this idea. And now, in the midst of a pandemic, we're all about this distance learning. <laughs> so um, it, it keeps reappearing. And then later on page 16, there's a letter from a woman from Kappa Chapter at Hillsdale highlighting the penchant for clannishness or exclusiveness among Greek letter organizations, but that in order to live up to our aimed for ideals, we must avoid at all possible that notion. So again, talk about relevance to today's current events and how we as Greek letter organizations have to do our best to avoid that exclusiveness, try to be as open and inclusive as possible. Um, if we ever want to have hope of living up to those ideals that we say are, are what we're striving for. So that's 1891. You've been listening to Key Matters, brought to you by Kappa Kappa Gamma, with generous support from the Kappa Kappa Gamma Foundation. Our headquarters is in Columbus, Ohio. Our house museum is in Monmouth, Illinois. You can find us online at kappa.org, or you can peruse our digital archives at kappa.historyit.com. Research and production is done by Dr. Mary Osborne and me, Kylie Smith. Thank you.